0: There you got my
1: Just ask you got my You are listening to Feminist Current. I'm Megan Murphy. Scottish women suffered a major blow last month when the SNP government passed a bill that will allow anyone to get a gender recognition certificate through self-declaration. Without any diagnosis of gender dysphoria or any kind of doctor's assessment. They will need only to claim to have been living as a different gender for three months. Teenagers will become eligible to apply to change their legal sex on the day of their 16th birthday. For Women Scotland was founded in June 2018, amid fear this very thing would happen, leading to an erosion of women's rights. I spoke with director of the group, Susan Smith about their fight for women's sex-based rights in Scotland and what happens now that the gender recognition reform bill has passed. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm really glad to to reconnect with you. It's been a while since we've talked. I think I was in Scotland. When was that, 2019? 2019. Goodness yeah, gracious. 2019, before all the lockdown sagas. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> for me, being in Scotland was so great. I mean, I I love Scotland, but also that was my first time there. But all of you women that I met over there, I just thought were incredible. I mean, you you all have done almost the most of any women around the world, I think, to fight gender identity legislation you know with the exception of the uk women the british women perhaps um i wonder if you can just start i know you you all have been fighting this bill um that recently passed unfortunately yeah um what was the law with regard to changing one's legal sex in Scotland? prior to the passage of this um, gender recognition reform bill? So the law
0: was the same across the entire UK because it was um, an act that was brought in in 2004 was the original gender recognition act. And that said that people had to have a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria. And they had to submit evidence of the fact that they got Gender dysphoria and that they had taken steps to adapt their life um, to a panel, and the panel would then judge whether or not they could get a GRC. The panel very rarely refused anyone a GRC, that has to be said. So there were the criteria for getting one, even though people said it was a dehumanizing process. The, The only thing that I suppose people objected to was that they had to submit records of any sort of surgical changes that they'd had. But, um, you know, I think I think for a lot of people, a lot of the people we spoke to from the trans community who didn't want to see this change, they felt there should be rules and they actually thought maybe the rules should have been stricter. So... Now what the Scottish government, the bill that the Scottish government have passed is that they just get rid of all of that. And it's just a statutory declaration. You just go in front of somebody and say, um, the registrar and say, I propose to live in my acquired gender, whatever that means, because there's no definition of how you live in a gender. For the rest of my life, and I promise I'm not lying, and um, I've done it for three months, and then they sign you off.
1: It's amazing. So I mean, it's a they're they're creating legislation out of nothing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, the the really the most dispiriting thing about sitting watching this debate for three days. Um, Well, there were many, many disparaging things. But I think the moment when a lot of women stood up and shouted shame on you at the MSPs was when they voted down an amendment. The most basic of safeguards, they said that people who had been convicted of a sex crime should not be eligible, allowed to be eligible for one of these. And they voted that down. And you know, the excuse given by some of the people who are supporting it is that um, trans people are not sex offenders. Well, if they're not sex offenders, then it shouldn't have mattered if they'd put this amendment in, right? Because it wouldn't affect a genuine people. It would only have weeded out people who are doing it for nefarious reasons, but they wouldn't even do that.
1: It's really strange. I did. I read about, well, two amendments that were voted down one of which is that that um an amendment barring convicted rapists from applying for gender recognition certificates and an amendment um proposed by SNP SMP, SMP S, sorry MSP Michelle Thompson to pause applications yeah. by those charged with rape or sexual assault i mean w- what Why would anybody reject those? I mean, if you've already been charged with rape or sexual assault, like, I mean, I I agree with what you say that, you know, this is just about preventing sexual assault. It's not about saying that all trans-identified people are sexual offenders, just as it's not about saying that all men are are sexual offenders. But if someone's already been charged with rape or sexual assault, what would be the problem with pausing the application (laughs) only?
0: Right, and especially as we know that there are people who are doing that at the moment. There, there was a guy in Scotland uh, this year, in fact, who appeared in court on the same day under two different names. One was a man's name, and then the other was under a woman's name, and the crime that he appeared for under the woman's name was the sex offense. <laughs> we know people are doing this. And so why you know what they did to Michelle Thompson, I think was absolutely shameful because she um she's spoken out before about when she was raped as a young teenage girl very movingly, and the fact that she and other women like her have been basically having to beg for the most you know the most smallest of crumbs from this bill and then being knocked back, I think it's just disgusting.
1: So this was a bill, I believe, proposed by Nicola Sturgeon. Is that correct?
0: Well, she's the First Minister. um, But she has been really wedded to this bill in a way that, um, you know, Why do people vote for the SNP in Scotland? The the SNP are the Scottish National Party, right? And they are supposed to be about pursuing independence for Scotland. So most of their support traditionally comes from people who want independence. And then over the last few years, she's tried to give off this impression of competent and sensible government. Don't upset the horses too much. And that was certainly the the strategy with Alex Salmond. Don't do too much. that's too radical don't scare off people who are not independent supporters, but might be brought to become independent supporters by sensible government. And um, over this bill, she seems to have completely ditched all that and just gone, well, hey, I'm going for the most extreme, ridiculous bill there is. Because obviously, in theory, this is an SNP bill, right? It's the party of government, and there are other ministers. But she has, she has very tight control over that party So they, they've had notoriously, they've been very highly disciplined. Um, but there have been, there's been opposition to this right from the get go. And um, that's been well known. And actually, the rebellion that came was possibly smaller than it could have been, but it's still the biggest rebellion. It, in the entire time the SNP has been in power, which is 15 years, they do not rebel against their leadership. But they did this time, and um, Ash Denon, who's one of the who was a minister, she resigned because she couldn't support the bill. So, you know, it's 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 quite
1: a mad thing to throw your cap over a windmill for, but that's that's kind of what she's done. I mean, what do you think her incentive was for passing this particular bill? As you say, you know, it's a pretty ridiculous <laughs> bill. It seems unnecessary to me. It wasn't that hard to change your sex legally beforehand. And now, you know, it's just, it's just a statement. You know, you could theoretically <laughs> change your sex on a whim. And, you know, and on top of that, there was so much dissent within the party,
0: yeah, and um I you know, I don't know, and it's a question that a lot of people keep asking, why she's so personally invested in it. Um I suppose one one reason is that she wants she wanted an easy win. And and I think this was why the Conservative Party in Westminster had originally thought about doing this many years ago when it seemed like a good idea and they'd they'd cottoned onto it. And I think they thought it would be like equal marriage. Oh, we're just doing something nice. Um, They were told by groups like Stonewall that this was the next step in human rights. Um, And then, of course, as women started to speak out and as the legal implications became clearer and as other issues started to arise, they backed off on it. And I don't know whether it's just because she always wants to be seen to be more progressive than England. So well, the, the mean people down south aren't doing this, but hey, lovely progressive Scotland's going to do this. We're, we're a nicer country. We're, we're just like the Nordic countries. Um, the irony there, of course, is that one thing that people have been pushing on for a while within the SNP has been to have the Nordic model uh, for prostitution. And um, she has... She, they were supposed to be signed up to that. The SNP was supposed to be signed up to that, but they've pushed that right back because it's not in the programme for government they've got with the Greens. So there's a huge irony as to what she takes as what, she, what they all call in that party international best practice. And um, the lack of critical thinking, the lack of proper engagement, I mean, it's been embarrassing. Um, they went out and they found witnesses who agreed with them. And then as more and more people started to put their heads, hands up and say, but actually that's one person and I don't agree. So we saw that with the, the UN special rapporteurs that they'd got Victor Madrigal in because he, he's all in favor of self-ID. And then... And said, actually, hang on a minute, you've overlooked violence against women and girls and this is going to be an issue. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to set that right or to work through it, they've, they've, they've just gone fallen back on all the people who agree with them. And so we've had absurdities. We've had them saying that this has never been a problem in any other country. And when evidence was brought to them, they dismissed it because they said everything was anecdotal. Um, And as, kept being pointed out to them, if people are not collecting official data on this stuff, then yeah the evidence is going to be anecdotal, it's going to be about court reports, it's going to be about individual offenders but you can't just dismiss it because of that, but that was what they were doing Um, One MSP stood up in Parliament and said that the fact that Ireland had introduced it and had never found grounds to revoke a certificate was evidence that it was working well in Ireland. Now, we know there are now, I think, either three or four sex offenders in women's prisons in Ireland, whereas a few years ago there were none, and they're all male, and one of them is incredibly violent. And so the question then has to be, but if you can't revoke these people's certificates, is that not a problem? Because I think that's a problem. I think most of the women in Limerick Jail probably think that's a problem. I think most of the women... In the future in Courtonville will think that's a problem. But it's not a problem for the rather smug MSP who stood up and said, Ah, it's fine, it's not gonna matter. And it's made me so angry. That their, their their sheer idiocy has made me so, so angry. I knew some of them were thick, but I didn't realise how thick and how duplicitous <laughs> they were.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> well, and it's just it's such an overt lack of concern for women, I think, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's so dismissive to, you know, oh, that probably won't happen. But it, to me, it seems almost more like saying, okay, well, that might happen, but oh, well, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a big deal. Trans rights are more important.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, I think what they said very clearly was that they have a hierarchy of who they think matters and vulnerable women are at the bottom of that pile and um, you know that that could not have been clearer with the sex offender thing, it was sex offenders have rights too and <laughs> you think yeah they do but so do their victims and if it's coming down to an either or situation I'm going to go with the victims and I'm astonished that you guys <laughs>
1: Um are there do you know if there are men and women's prisons in Scotland currently?
0: Yes, there are. Um and and this is the other this is the other thing that is so maddening about this, that um Scotland, as with the rest of the UK, brought in some self-ID almost by stealth that organizations were working on Um, groups like the Scottish Prison Service to get this into the system in advance of the law change so that they wanted really to be able to turn around and say look this is happening anyway this has nothing to do with the law so changing the law doesn't matter Um, what they keep going back to is they say well that decision is for the Scottish Prison Service and they do what the same MSP I was saying said there were no problems in Ireland, said they do dynamic risk assessments. Well, the Scottish Prison Service latest dynamic risk assessment um, is on an individual who calls himself Katie Dolotowski. He's he's six foot five. Um, He assaulted a... um, I think she was 10. There were two little girls. There was one that he filmed and one that he assaulted in the women's loo of a supermarket. So all the things that never happened, happened. Um, and the little girl he assaulted, he grabbed her by the face, pushed her into the loo, told her to take her trousers off, and that if she didn't, he was going to stab her mother. And she was very brave, and she ran off and she got away. He was 18 at the time, and he got let off with a pretty light sentence, and was then put in a women's hostel because he's a woman, right? Um, and then the women in the hostel objected had disappeared, and he turned up in Leeds, gone to a women's aid shelter, used an assumed name. They had a policy in this shelter of self-ID for part of the shelter. So he got a place. He lived for 70 days in this women's aid shelter in Leeds. Um, he then, he's... he's Um, broken a load of um, court orders so he ended up back in prison he ended up in a man a male prison where he physically assaulted a man by punching him repeatedly in the head after which he was moved to the women's prison because of course he was so upset by being in the men's prison this is why he acted out and so we're being told it won't matter because this is already happening well actually what's already happening is a really really bad thing and it's going to get worse because I think that there are there are there are quite a few in Scottish prisons. There are also some who are still being held in the men's estate, as far as I'm aware. Um, we believe that if those people get GRCs, they have to be risk assessed as a woman, or it's a breach of their human rights because men and women are not supposed to be kept together in prison. So we think it's very hard when someone has a GRC to refuse to move them. And we kept trying to tell the committee this, but they weren't really interested. In fact, Karen Adams, who is just appalling, who sat on that committee, turned around and said, well, women might be having sex with each other in prison. (laughs) I suppose that was what we were worried about, them having sex. Yeah. Instead of the women being violently assaulted. So yeah, and we know now because um, we had a court case. So we brought a judicial review about quite a technical and, and distinct piece of legislation that we won. It was gender representation on public boards originally um, last year, and the the um, judge said that measures. It was a discrimination policy, a piece of legislation, rather. And she said that discrimination measures to benefit women had to exclude males. And so when the government went, went and rewrote the guidance, they wrote back in people with a GRC. So they said this provision refers to women, plus people who have legally changed their sex to female via a GRC. So we went back to court. And we lost on that. And the judge said that a GRC changes someone's rights under the Equality Act. And that had been the other thing the whole way through this thing, that the Scottish government said they had no power to change anything under the Equality Act because that's, um, that piece of legislation is, is reserved, which means it's controlled by the UK government. And so this wouldn't affect the Equality Act. But it clearly does because we've now got this ruling that says it does. And so they've lied. I mean, they have lied about the impacts of getting a GRC. They were continuing to lie, even as they had the debate. They were saying, oh, it's not going to affect anything because that's all Equality Act. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I mean, I, I don't trust the Scottish government as far as I can throw them. And I think it's going to have to be sorted out with with a beefing up of the Equality Act so that we can say, well, for Equality Act purposes, sex is the thing that matters, and you know, if a GRC just
1: changes your gender, it doesn't change your sex. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a bit about your fight, you know, in the lead up. So, this bill passed finally a week ago, um, but you all have been, you all over in Scotland. Um, have been fighting this for some time. Tell me about your strategy and your tactics and tell me what you did. Because, I mean, despite the fact that the bill did pass, I think that you all actually were quite successful in your fight and you got a lot of press and you got a lot of people on board protesting this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we started in 2018 and I don't think anybody knew anything about this at that point, it, or, or they just thought it was being kind to, to unhappy people. And um, that was the time we were delighted if we could get a letter in the newspaper. <laughs> oh, um, The first thing that we did was really came in and gave evidence on the census bill, which was that the, there was a proposal when they um, brought in the census bill, that they were going to introduce three categories for sex, and, and they wanted a self-ID option, and the committee were really good on the census bill. Um, but um, and then, of course, we had you over, which was a pretty massive thing because you came into Parliament, and um, that was that was that was great. And I think at that point there was just Enough pushback, that, that, and there was there were enough people within the SNP who were starting to grumble about this that they kicked it down the road a little bit. So in June 2019, they um, they said they were going to do another consultation. Um, and they did another consultation in March 2020, and of course that coincided with the lockdown, so it was being pushed back and pushed back, and all that time. I suppose we were able to gain momentum because the longer it went on, um, the more um, the, the more people we could we could raise against it. The only problem for us really was that we lost quite a few very powerful voices within the Scottish Parliament and especially within Scottish Labour. And Scottish Labour is supposed to be an opposition party, not to oppose, even though this is now, as I say, with the more information, the more evidence that gets out there, the more people object to this. And the latest polls show houses, But Scottish Labour decided they were going to vote it through, even though all their amendments were knocked back. So they know this is a terrible piece of legislation. They know it's very flawed. They wouldn't allow their MSPs a free vote on it. They whipped it. A couple of their MSPs very bravely defied that whip. They rushed it. You know, we had three days of solid debate. The Scottish Parliament has never sat so late. They sat after midnight. They, um, they were supposed to be friendly. They were supposed to do things differently. It was all jettisoned to push this piece of legislation through before Christmas. Because I think they were at the point that they had to get it done and the um But it it showed them up. It was a really embarrassing process. And um, I I don't know. I mean, we say we're going to come back and um, we're going to keep fighting on every little bit. And when things happen, and not if things happen, but when things go wrong with this,
1: um, we want to hold them to account. Mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling called this the single biggest rollback of women's rights in our lifetimes. And I've heard people say that they think we're living through the most misogynist time in decades. And to me, honestly, that does seem true. I mean, obviously, there's women who are living in other countries who are suffering a great deal more than women are in the West. You know, Afghanistan is an obvious example. Those women and girls lost all of their rights. Um. But, you know, when we look at the narratives surrounding gender identity, they're so appallingly sexist and women have really been thrown to the wolves in all of that. Um, Never mind, you know, the ways that that things like porn and prostitution have, have gotten so much worse, so much more normalized, so much more accessible, so much more common and accepted than ever before. Do you think things are worse for women than they were, you know, 30 or 40 years ago?
0: Yeah, I think obviously there are some pretty pretty basic things in law that will change for the better. Um, it's not that long ago that rape and marriage was legal in the UK. But I think, I think you always expect things are going to get better. You always hope to see progress. And I think that probably maybe 20 or so years ago, we got to a point where we thought, actually most of these most of these battles were were winning yes there's still issues around discrimination especially workplace discrimination there's obviously still a big issue with sexual harassment but i think i felt that we were we were winning that we were getting somewhere that attitudes were changing and then i've been really concerned looking at um people in the younger generations that actually we are starting to regress these ideas about what women are supposed to look like how women are supposed to behave what they're supposed to wear and of course that's all cemented in gender ideology and if you don't do it right you're a boy and if you're i mean i guess you saw the the ridiculous article on louisa um, malcott the other day if you're if you're brave or clever you can't be a girl all these things just are there. They're a huge structural problem for society because they are just saying to all these little girls out there that the only way you can achieve and to be that important person is if you decide you want to be a man to do it because girls don't do that. Girls don't do not do that. Girls wear pink and they like sparkles and they, um, prance around like ponies or whatever it is. They, they, the idea of these stereotypes has become so embedded and so pernicious in that ideology. I think it's very hard to, well, I don't think it's possible to cut it out. And it was one thing I said when I went to committee that I've not seen a definition of gender that doesn't rely on stereotypes. I don't think there can be a definition of gender that doesn't rely on stereotypes. And to say that, that's a good thing, is really frightening. And, you know, what has been unleashed in the name of this is really frightening because I think the attacks on high-profile women who stood up to this have been absolutely repellent and they have been just completely imbued with misogyny and they've been grotesque, really, really grotesque. And I think people have been almost gleeful And I've seen people who work for politicians or who have quite important roles um, in organisations who join in, who say things that probably 10, 20 years ago would have got them hauled up, um, would have caused an outcry, but they're saying them about the wrong sort of women now, so that's okay, so they can make these really repellent comments. Um, and nobody's going to mind because it's only against a turf, so that's fine. Yeah. It's it's really dark.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and I just, I just looked up that, that article that you referenced. I think this is the one you're referencing that's the headline is Little Women author Louisa May Alcott may have been non-binary. <laughs> yeah. You know, she yeah. couldn't possibly have been a woman because she was – she was too brilliant she was too influential
0: yeah and she couldn't have been a woman who objected to sexism and said well i would like to be a man because hey girls guess what girls couldn't do that stuff in those days so (laughs) it's it's insane it's taking a really 19th century view going yeah she couldn't do those things not because she wasn't because society wouldn't let her but because girls don't naturally want to do it. I mean, it, it is the same philosophy that fuels, the, fuels all to, um, to uh, theocratic regimes, isn't it? It's yeah. the same thing. Women well, don't do that.
1: Right. Women aren't suited for this. Um, women yeah. shouldn't do this. Women don't behave in this way. Um, and I mean, it's it's frustrating because I'm sure you've heard this response i i get it all the time that says this is all the fault of feminists and you know and in some ways i understand and i'm sympathetic to that criticism partly because there have been so many feminists who got on board with gender identity ideology and there have been so many feminists who did fail to speak out in defense of women's sex-based rights and women's spaces and because feminism has become such a muddled mess that A lot of people who call themselves feminists are also the same kinds of people who, you know, might call Louisa May Alcott non binary because she wasn't traditionally feminine enough. (laughs) But I mean, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that feminism has some accountability here in terms of what we've lost?
0: not probably not proper feminism I mean I it's it was a shock to me when I started to get involved because I I would have always considered myself classic liberal feminist in the sense that radical feminists obviously want to change the entire world and liberal feminists were trying to adapt the world um and maybe you know I had to say okay maybe you have the point because liberal feminism was very much turned back on women um and undermined and I yeah I, the muddle and confusion that some people come up with I mean the the insanity I hear from younger women who think they are feminists um things like the, the one that always gets me is when we talk about sport and we say women's bodies are different and so that's why we have different sporting character uh, categories or when we talk about sexual assault and we say that men have a physical advantage um, because women tend not to have the same upper body strength and all this sort of thing, and they turned that around and said, "But you all argued for years that you weren't the weaker sex, and now you're saying you're the weaker sex," and that that maddens me because I know well, we know that's not what feminists were saying, but maybe it is what some feminists got pulled down that route that they did get pulled down a route of saying no there's absolutely nothing that um is different between the two sexes and maybe we forgot that there were crucial differences and that those differences don't make one sex lesser or one sex better it just makes us different and we have to acknowledge those differences because in a world built for men it puts women at a disadvantage and maybe maybe we did get maybe we did get sidetracked by trying to think too much no 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 we can do we can do exactly what men do in the same world and in the same in the world that is structured for them we can achieve in the same way we can do all the same things instead of thinking actually no we need to have we need to have something adapted for us we need to have this different because we we do have different needs and it's not it's, it shouldn't be shameful to say that.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with admitting that we made mistakes. Um, yeah, we obviously haven't done everything right in the women's movement and as feminists. Um. And, you know, I think that there was this, this huge push to consider the you know the idea that women can't do everything that men can do as an insult you know as the sexism when in reality you know men and women are obviously different in a lot of ways and and women can't necessarily do everything that men can do men certainly can't do everything that women can do and you know it's it's it should be okay and we know we know that women are weaker and more vulnerable than men are, which is why we have all these protections for women. Yeah. We have to be able to say that.
0: Yeah, we do. And we have to be able to say that, you know, the, the male sex carries out 98% of violent crime. And it doesn't mean, and it's the thing we keep kept going back to you through this whole thing. We're not saying all men. We're not saying all trans identified men, but we are saying, if you say that one group is, it can opt out and get around safeguards, people will always use it. Um, and, and ultimately what their argument comes down to is to have absolutely no safeguards, no differential, no data collection. I mean, that's that, that's been the big thing, that we don't collect data by, by sex anymore. We collect it by gender mm. in Scotland. Mm. And obviously... Um, Some people want to go further than that and just not collect data, not have markers of sex at all. But we know who that's going to benefit at the end of the day. And we know that's not going to benefit women. We're just not going to be able to count it. We're just not going to be able to see where the injustices are because they're not letting us, they're not letting us peep behind the curtain. Um, I mean, it's, it's, You know, if I wanted to to construct a sort of massive incel or men's activism movements, a conspiracy theory, I don't think they could have done it any better. They they really could be reworking this world to suit men, and we're not even going to be able to tell.
1: I know. It feels that way. You know, like it feels as though, you know... If you weren't sympathetic to so-called conspiracy theorists in the past, you sure would be now, I am. <laughs> because it does seem like a massive plot to undermine the entire women's movement.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's been so cleverly done, persuading, persuading someone that you're friends and you're on side and you're going to, what benefits us will benefit you and you just look at it and think, but it doesn't. And I, I, it is good. More and more people are starting to see that it doesn't. But it, it they've they've taken it to quite an ag- aggressive extreme before. People have started to wake up to it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, what now? What's the plan now? I mean, the bill's been passed. Is there any recourse? What's in the works for you all over in Scotland who are fighting this?
0: Well, so the next thing with the bill itself is that it has to have um, royal assent and that happens in in four weeks. But during that period, during the four-week period, the um, the UK government can actually strike it down if they decide that there's an issue. Um, it's very complicated, but when Scotland when we got our own parliament um, the Scotland act governs the relationship between the two countries. And there are um, sections in there that deal with what would happen if a law passed in Scotland would have a, a knock on effect to laws in, in the rest of the UK or laws that are supposed to govern the rest of the UK. And as, as I said, because of our court case and because of some of the things that, that, People like the EHRC have been saying that's our um, equality and human rights body who monitors the whole of the UK and um, for, for the implementation of the Equality Act. Um, there is, there is going to be an impact on the, on the, this legislation. We still don't know, for example, whether a GRC issued in Scotland will be le- legal in England. The UK government have suggested it won't be because they don't accept self ID. So you could have somebody who is legally Mary in um, Glasgow and goes across to Carlisle and they're John again. Mm. So, um, you know, um, we are still supposed to be governed by the same equality laws. So it's it's a bit ridiculous. We don't know what would happen if a prisoner, a Scottish-born prisoner in an English prison was able to obtain a Scottish GRC, which they would be able to do, whether that then the the English prison authorities would have to treat that person as a female. Um, We have no idea about this. So there are implications for the rest of the UK. So under Section 35 of the Scotland Act, it would be possible for the Scottish Secretary to strike this down. And then it would be going back to court. Um, Now, Nicola Sturgeon would love probably that to happen, because then she can try and have a constitutional row and say, look, look, the meany, meany, nasty people in in England won't let us make our own law. But that's always been the case. Scotland, you know, it's it's like any system where you have um, several layers of government. You can't, you can't make a law in one part of the country that undermines the the rest of the country um so while ever we're part of the uk that that's got to be the case so i would i don't know whether they would i don't know whether they would try to do it because they are very worried that it would be spun as a constitutional issue within scotland certainly kemi badenoch who is the um the women and equalities minister down in um westminster has made noises that she is prepared to fight this. So I would hope they would, because I actually think it might even backfire on Sturgeon. Because if she thinks that this will become a rallying cry for independence, I think she'll find herself disappointed. Because I think, you know, there are a lot of people who want independence, but they also don't want to live in, you know, Margaret Atwood style dystopia. And so, if if their hope is Westminster, they're probably going to be looking to Westminster rather than and and wondering whether we actually have um, the capacity for grown-up government in Scotland. Because that's the other thing, you know, if you pass such bonkers laws, what 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 does that say about our ability to have a functioning parliament? This was a bad law; it wasn't properly scrutinised. Um, so it actually reflects very badly on Scotland so that's that's the first thing we'll try and get that if that happens um, the Scottish government will go back to court they will go to court they will try and argue that they were within their rights to pass this piece of legislation I think at that point ourselves and other organisations would try to go in as well on the case to argue that they didn't have that right um, obviously the other side will come in and say they did um, if the UK government don't intervene, I think it will end up in court anyway. Um, Scottish government have a terrible track record of passing really bad law. They passed um, a couple of pieces of law, the Offensive Behaviour at Football Act and the Name Person Act, which both ended up in the Supreme Court and were both ruled um, to be illegitimate. So I think, I think whatever way this goes, this is going to end up in court um and that that reflects really bad that reflects really badly on Scotland. It reflects really badly on our system of government.
1: Well <clears throat> we'll I'll be watching and supporting. Um I thank you so much for all your work. Uh I think that as I said, all of you women in Scotland are such an inspiration to the rest of us. Um it's oh
0: to see it in other countries and you know I, I think I think we all need to basically well every time something goes wrong um, anywhere that has self- ID we need to all send MSPs all the articles <laughs> <It's> <laughs> International best practice for you. this is what's happening.
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean because it's the same thing keeps happening over and over and over again. Um, yeah and I mean rather unfortunately, it seems like it happened in Canada first and and no one was really prepared and and there was no real public debate and so things just happened yeah. and then we we were left with being forced to to backtrack which has not been successful yet um but it does i mean to me it seems like there is a major backlash it seems like in the past year really a lot of people woke up to what was going on and were appalled
0: that's good
1: yeah which is great but anyway thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me again thank you so much for all your work uh i i hope that you have a happy new year and uh you know we'll keep fighting in 2023 you too. Have a great time. Okay. Take care. Thanks, Bye-bye. Megan. I'm Megan Murphy. Thanks for tuning in to Feminist Current. You can find us online at feministcurrent.com, tweet at us at feministcurrent, or send us an email at info at feministcurrent.com. We are hosted by Libsyn, and you can subscribe to the Feminist Current podcast anywhere you like to listen iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, Spotify, and beyond. You can even give us five stars and a review on iTunes. Feminist Current is produced and hosted by myself, Megan Murphy. We have been ad-free, sponsorship-free, wealthy investor-free, and fully independent since 2012. If you enjoyed this podcast... And if you value independent women's media, by women, for women, no compromises, please consider making a donation to support our work. Just visit FeministCurrent.com and click the donate button.